Hello, and welcome to the Health Nuts podcast with certified holistic nutrition consultants, Mary Vance and Caitlin Weeks. Our goal is to dispel mainstream nutrition myths and bring you the best in holistic health and real food education. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Mary. How are you? Good morning. Hi. How are you? Great. Um, I'll go ahead and read the disclaimer real quick so we can get that out of the way. Uh, the only purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform is no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice or services. We encourage you to discuss your health with a licensed health care provider. Caitlin Weeks and Mary Vance assume no liability for your activities in connection with this podcast. Make sure and look for us on Facebook and on the internet at grassfedgirl.com and Facebook slash Grassfed Girl and Mary Vance is at maryvancenc.com and Mary Vance Nutrition Consultant on Facebook. So it's our first podcast back in 2014, and I hope you enjoyed your holiday break. Yeah, it was really nice. I went to Nashville and spent some time with my family and got to relax a little bit, so it was good. How well, about you? Good. Same. Um, made some really delicious paleo treats and made some good food and also got to relax a little. So now we're hitting the ground running in 2014. Yeah, I'm excited. And me and Mary have been putting together a class that we're going to launch soon. So we'll have you the details coming out shortly. We'll probably do a class to get everyone excited about it and then a free class and then you can learn more about it. So we're excited it's like a class about how to get healthy and reach your weight loss goals. So we're, we're putting that all together. It's almost done. So we're excited about that. Yeah, it'll be great to launch that because it will be several classes to help people lose weight and get healthier. And if you paid us to work with you individually, it would cost thousands of dollars. But we wanted to make that information accessible to everyone. So we're excited to unveil that soon. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's a lot of it's for people who maybe want to work with a nutritionist but can't really afford it. So we've tried to put, you know, hours and hours of our expertise in a virtual class so that you can feel like you're working with a nutritionist one-on-one but without the expense. This class would be over $2,000 if you worked with us privately. So that's why we wanted to do it to bring it to everyone to, so they could get their health on track for 2014. Exactly. So we have a great guest today, and I'm really excited to hear information he has. But before we get into that, tell us what's new on your site. Well, I've been doing a, a bunch of gummy recipes, and uh, you'll find <laughs> out why in the coming soon. But um, I have a green juice gummy that I thought would be fun for the new year, and I thought it'd be fun if you put it in a dinosaur mold, and <laughs> uh, my assistant gave me that idea, and then... That would make it fun for kids, and, you know, who doesn't love dinosaur gummies? So um, I also made a, a MacBook giveaway with my blogger buddies, so that's been really popular. So go to my site and register to win a $1,200 MacBook. Wow, fancy. Yeah, and I also made a, resol- uh, a blog post about six resolutions, like six ways to make better resolutions for New Year's, so... You know, we, me and Mary are both big advocates of doing, you know, detoxing in a smarter way. And uh, so I made a 
a blog post about that because I see a lot of people making mistakes this time of year. What about you, Mary? Well, um, what is new on my site? I wrote kind of like you were talking about making resolutions. You know, a lot of people want to detox this time of year. So my book, Three Weeks to Vitality, which is a 21-day holistic foods-based cleanse program, which is a great way to jumpstart weight loss or break sugar cravings that kind of crop up over the holidays. There's information on my site about the sale that I'm having right now. It's 20% off. So, you know, hundreds of people have already downloaded the book and gotten started on the program this January. So uh, you can find that on maryvancenc.com. And then I have a an article, speaking of detox, about how to detox your pantry and then stock it with the, the proper holistic staples. And I include kind of tips for fast and easy meals, things you can have around in your house, you know, if you get into a pinch and don't have time to cook, and just some good uh, pantry staples to have. And then I'm also giving away my favorite cooking utensil, which is called a green pan. And I, I tend to use a lot of cast iron in the kitchen, but I still have problems with it sticking. And the green pan is one of the first 100% non-toxic uh coating pans because you know we've all heard that teflon and those non-stick pans are really gross they leach chemicals into your food and they, the coating flakes off into your food and you know it can deposit heavy metals in your system but the green pan is 100 percent non-toxic it's this really cool technology from germany and it's ceramic so i'm giving away one of those because uh, i love it i use it all the time so that's what's new on my site Awesome. That sounds fun. I, I'm really interested in those pans. I mean, I had to buy some nonstick when I was making my cookbook or one. I bought yeah. one pan because it's hard to make a pretty omelet without. Um, oh, I know. Who cares for yourself? But when you're trying to take a picture of it, you have to make it look pretty. So um, I'm interested to check out those pans. But um, And same with if you want to make, I really love sweet potato hash browns. And for brunch, and it's impossible to make those without the sticky, without it sticking all down. You lose half of it. The bottom of your cast iron pan, and then you have to soak the pan, and you're not supposed to soak cast iron. And so, yeah, these are great. I'm sure there's some homesteading survivalism tactic <laughs> that we, we city folk don't know about. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I'm sure that's applicable for a lot of things, yeah. Yeah. If we put, like, lye on it, it would probably work. Um so we are really excited because we have Jonathan Baylor. He is an ex expert in nutrition and exercise, and he has been collaborating with top scientists for over 10 years, analyzing over 1,300 studies and garnering endorsements from top, top doctors from Harvard Medical School, Johns Hopkins, Yale, UCLA. Um, Jonathan is a, is a nutrition expert and a formal personal trainer, like I said. He specializes in food and exercise to simplify wellness. He has 25 registered patents, wow, and authored the number one internationally best-selling calorie myth. Baylor serves as a senior project program manager at Microsoft and hosts a popular wellness radio show um, that I've been listening to nonstop this week. It's really good. He's very, has really good ways of putting words in pictures to make it understandable, even though he's a science guy. So he blogs at the Huffington Post, and he has free quick start guides on his website, and he'll be telling us about that. And he lives in Seattle with his wife, Angela, and he's helping people all over the world. So we're so excited to welcome Jonathan.
Yeah, well, I'm really excited about his new book, The Calorie Myth. So let's welcome him. Well, welcome, Jonathan. We're so glad to have you on the Health Nuts podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, one of the things that's on our, our listeners' minds right now is New Year's resolutions. And uh, we always hear, you know, I'm going to go on a diet in the new year and all that. But what are some of the things you hear from your listeners and your readers about where people go wrong during the New Year's? It's really not any individual person going wrong, which is the challenge here. People do the best they can with the information they've been given, and the information we've been given is so horribly flawed. There's no surprise that we have record level rates of obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and heart disease. I mean, what the de facto approach to weight loss that we've been told is just count calories and just starve yourself. And that's a bit like telling people, just go to the bathroom less or, or just sleep less. You can't just tell a person, you know, just be hungry for the rest of your life. That is absurd. So Jonathan, also, you know, we got a lot of questions from our Facebook listeners and readers. And before we kind of get into those, just we are really curious and would like to hear from you why you wrote this book, The Calorie Myth, and it's really taken off and, you know, people are really embracing the information. So tell us a little bit of uh, background about why you decided to take on this project. Would you like the short, medium, or long version? <laughs> I guess uh, maybe somewhere between the short and medium. All right. So I used to be a personal trainer. And back in my personal trainer days, this was many, many years ago, I experienced something very unique. I'm one of those hated people who is naturally thin. And my goal was to get bigger. I would consume 6,000 calories per day. Literally, I have Excel spreadsheets to track this out. I would do double shots of olive oil, just literally trying to get bigger, while the vast majority of my clients were women over the age of 35, who had the exact opposite goal. They wanted to get smaller. So I did what anyone who's versed in the conventional wisdom would do, and that is to tell them to eat about 1,200 calories per day and to exercise way more than I was exercising. The unfortunate thing that happened was that neither myself nor my clients achieved what we wanted. We, we didn't become slim and healthy. In fact, we just became sick and sad. So I said to myself, self, you're in the business of helping people, and you, you're hurting people. And you can't even help yourself. Stop. So I stopped being a personal trainer because I didn't feel qualified anymore because I was not achieving the outcomes that I or my clients wanted. But I didn't want to give up on trying to help people. So this is when I tapped into my geeky side. My day job is I'm a senior program manager at Microsoft. And the reason I have that job is I really, really like working with very technical people, extremely technical people, to take their knowledge and to translate it and to apply it into systems, a.k.a. to engineer things that everyday people can enjoy and use to live better lives. So I do that with technology at Microsoft, and I've done that with biology with top researchers around the world, with the Harvard Medical School, Johns Hopkins, UCLA, analyzed over 1,300 studies over a 10-year time period, simply because what I personally was doing and telling people to do was counterproductive. So I said to myself, self, there has to be a better approach. And ironically, there is a vastly better approach. And when you take a step back, it makes a lot of sense because 
Think of all the technological advancement we've seen in every other area of life over the past 50 years. However, for eating and exercise, we're told the same stuff we were told 50 years ago, just eat less and exercise more. Fat's going to kill you. Sugar isn't really a big deal, and protein is somewhat irrelevant, right? That's the same stuff we've heard for 50 years, the exact same time period when we got sick and heavy. Isn't it time that we look at the modern science and engineer a solution that actually works? So in the, the calories in, calories out model, which is kind of what you discuss in the book, uh, why, first off, why is this kind of theory flawed and then, you know, I think our listeners also, since you're so science-based, would appreciate if you could point us to some specific studies that are kind of in support of this, too. Sure. Think of calorie, the calorie math theory as the flat earth theory of fat loss. It's incredibly intuitive. <laughs> right? Look out your window. It looks like the earth is flat. And if the earth wasn't flat, wouldn't the people on the bottom fall off? It's a very reasonable position to have, but it's not accurate. And you could imagine when people tried to convince the world that the world wasn't flat, they're just like, dude, what do you look outside? It's clearly flat. But then they said, well, when you understand science, for example, the law of gravity, you start to see that, wait a minute, okay, it could be round. And these scientific laws explain how that's possible. The same thing applies to your metabolism. It's intuitive to think that if you just starve yourself, you'll lose weight. And you will lose weight. But our goal isn't to temporarily lose weight. Everyone's temporarily lost weight. You can temporarily lose weight by cutting off your leg. That doesn't mean it's a good approach. Our actual goal is to be to have a body we love, to have a life we love, and to have wonderful health for our entire life. You cannot achieve that through starvation. That doesn't make any sense at all. And if you look at the actual studies, every single study, every single study that has ever, clinical study that has counted calories, has shown that calorie math doesn't add up. Meaning if people, for example, were in a super tight, controlled environment where they all cut, say, a thousand calories, theoretically, they should lose two pounds per week, right? According to the conventional wisdom. They never, ever, ever do. So why the, the fact that the mainstream keeps perpetuating a theory that has been disproven by every relevant study that's ever examined it is beyond me. I was listening to one of your podcasts that you said that there was a study where people were basically on IVs and that they lost, they didn't lose weight. They were on a re, almost re, very restricted calorie diet and they didn't lose weight. They just started to... Well, they, they lost muscle mass, and that was the body, even though it was restricting calories so much that it just started eating its own muscle, and they really didn't have the benefits that they were looking for. Or, and and it, that just showed the calories in, calories out model doesn't really work, right? Exactly, and we can look at it in both directions. So we can look at it in terms of weight loss. We can also look at it in terms of weight gain. So from a weight loss perspective, let's look at this personally. If you just try eating less, which because we've all been told to do that, chances are all of your listeners have tried that, the first thing that happens is you become tired and cold. Do you know why that happens? <laughs> because your body just slows down. It's like, ah, oh, 
I have less fuel, so I'm going to use less fuel. It's like if you lost your job, you wouldn't just be like, going to keep spending my money. You're going to say, oh, I better conserve. Money in has gone down. Therefore, I'm going to conserve money out. The body is an adaptive organism. If you starve it, it fights you. So that's why you get cold and hungry and tired. But what's really fun, because that's not fun at all, what's fun is if you look at the other side of the equation, which is when you do eat too many calories, you do not gain the amount of weight you should. In fact, in fact, the most recent research, which came out this September, showed that the most accurate estimates available indicate that the average American male is consuming 1,000 more calories than he should need per day, okay? And the, the, the report then just went on to gloss over, just like, oh, yeah, we're eating too many calories. Whoa, 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 talk about burying the lead. If the average American male is consuming 1,000 more calories than he needs per day, and there's 3,500 calories in a pound of fat, that means the average American male is consuming 7,000 too many calories per week, which means he should gain two pounds of fat per week, which means he should gain 104 pounds of fat a year. Yes, we're getting heavier, but we're not getting nearly as heavy as we should according to the number of calories we're consuming. Absolutely. I've noticed that myself. I mean, you know, if, if it was really calories, think about the holidays. If it was really calories in, calories out, then everyone would gain way more than they actually do gain. <laughs> well, and Kate, <clears throat> excuse me, Caitlin, that was Caitlin, correct? Yeah. Caitlin, it's nice our little system here highlights when you're speaking versus when Mary's speaking. So <laughs> the, um, if you think about the whole calorie math equation, it's, it's absurd for so many reasons, one of which is that it's impossible to do. Even, even, say you only ate food that had little nutrition facts on it so that you could, quote unquote, accurately know calories First of all, that would be horribly unhealthy because the healthiest foods in the world don't even have nutrition labels on them. But besides that point, even the nutrition labels have about a 10% margin of error. So even if you counted every single calorie in, you could still have a margin of error of 10%, which doesn't seem like a lot, but the average person consumes about a million calories in a year. That's a 100,000 calorie margin of error. Wow. It can't work that way. I was wondering a little bit more about, I've heard you talk a lot about how hormones come into play, and can you explain to our listeners a little bit about, you know, how quality food comes in, makes the hormones regulate and stuff like that? Hormones are really what we should be focused on, not calories. The reason for this is, think about it a bit like a car. The amount, the quantity of gasoline you put in a car does not change that car. So if a car is not running properly, just putting more or less gasoline in it will never change that. The quality of the fuel you put into the car will though. Premium gasoline will make the car actually run differently. And if you put kerosene or lighter fluid in the car's gas tank, it'll run much differently. So it's the quality of things we put in a system that change the system itself. The same thing applies to our body. The quantity of calories we take in don't actually change the way our metabolic system works. The quality of foods we take in does. And the way it does that are in three ways. One is hormonally, but also neurologically and also gastroenterologically, so with our gut bacteria. But hormones are really the biggest one, and hormones are how our body communicates. So at the end of the day, you burn fat when hormonal signals tell your brain, burn fat. 
and you store fat when hormonal signals say store fat. And if you want concrete examples of this, two things. First, if you take a person, don't do this. It's a bad idea, but let's talk about science. If you take a person, you set them on the couch, and you change nothing about their eating, and you shoot them full of anabolic steroids, a.k.a. hormones, they will build muscle and burn fat. Why? Because those hormones are telling their body to do that. The body does what hormones tell it to do. Similarly, and this has been shown repeatedly in clinical trials, if you take a person and you inject them with the hormone insulin and you change nothing about their diet or their exercise routine, they gain fat. Why? Because insulin tells the body to gain fat. It is through the quality of food we eat that we change that hormonal conversation and can get our body to burn fat for us long term. Isn't insulin basically just sugar? <laughs> insulin is the hormone your body releases in response to sugar. Of course. Yeah, that, that's kind of what we always say is that food is information for the body, right? And what you eat can dictate whether or not you are storing fat or burning fat because your body f functions more as a chemistry lab really than a bank account, right? I love the, the idea of food as information. It's a bit like... Someone who walks into someone's someone's at a foreign country, let's say, that they go to visit, let's say Mary, you go to visit someone in China, and you're like asking someone for directions, and they don't understand you, and you just like ask them again, and then you ask them louder, and you ask them louder, and you ask them louder, and they're like, hey, I don't speak English. Like you can you can increase the <laughs> quantity of requests you make to this person, but if they don't understand the information you're giving them, it doesn't matter. That's basically what we're doing with our bodies when we futz around with calories. It's the wrong language. We're screaming at our body, burn fat, in a language that it doesn't understand. <laughs> So with, with that in mind, tell us a little bit about your SANE theory. You know, everyone wants to get that teaser before they read the book. The good news, two, two things, and one thing I, I always like to call out very much because while I am flattered when people say things like my research or my SANE theory, all that I do, I, I'm a mouthpiece, so I'm not a doctor. I simply represent, for lack of better terms, researchers who spend their lives in laboratories, not on infomercials or not in spandex. So I try to make their information accessible to everyone. So this, this information, this idea of SANE, is an acronym that breaks down four factors that the scientific community has established which determine the, whether or not a, a food source is high or low quality. Because we all hear, oh, eat healthy food. But if, if you ask 10 people what healthy food is, you're going to get 10 different answers, right? So the, the vegan community is going to say something much different than the paleo community, which is going to say something different than the low-carb community, which is going to say something different from the United States Department of Agriculture, right? <laughs> so we've got to say it's not like eat more healthy food because clearly healthy has resulted in something very unhealthy over the past 50 years. We need to reevaluate what healthy is. The way you do that is you look at the science and you say, what has the science shown? There's four factors that determine whether or not a food is healthy. How satisfying it is. That's the S insane. So for example, Pringles openly advertises, once you pop, <laughs> you can't stop. They're saying our food doesn't satisfy you. The point of light beer, the point, the reason light beer was invented was to give people a mechanism to ingest calories and not feel full. Okay. <laughs> or light, just pee a lot. Exactly, exactly. So light beer and Pringles are examples of foods that have low satiety. 
We want to eat foods that have high satiety, that keep us full for a long time. We also want to eat the A insane is unaggressive foods, foods that don't dump energy into our bloodstream all at once, causing a huge spike in insulin. This is one that's pretty well understood, has to do with glycemic index and glycemic load. The N is nutrition. And it has to do with the amount of essential things, vitamins, minerals, essential amino acids, essential fatty acids, a food provides us. This is one we can talk about more because the way nutrition has been presented to us is not what the scientific community shows, but we can talk about that in a second. Obviously, we want to eat more nutritious foods. And then finally, the E is efficiency. This is the one that's least well understood in the mainstream. And that is different sources of calories are more or less efficient at being stored as fat on our body. For example, protein, which really isn't an energy source, it's a structural component, is very, very difficult for your body to store as body fat simply because there's a huge number of chemical reactions that need to take place before protein becomes triglyceride and then gets stored on your body. So we want to eat satisfying, unaggressive, nutritious, and inefficient foods, sane foods. So what you're saying is you're kind of a conduit for information that exists out there that research is delving into, but people just don't have access to this information? Or why do you think there's resistance around it? There isn't really resistance by anyone other than people that have a vested interest in the old models. For example, I mean, you know, I've got my own show that we do. I really appreciate the kind words you said about that earlier before we recorded. We've had vegans on the show. We've had paleo luminaries on the show. We'd have mainstream researchers on the show because the thing that's cool about all of these different lifestyles, all of them, vegan, vegetarian, paleo, low carb, South Beach, is you'll notice they share one thing in common. They don't count calories. They focus on food quality rather than calorie quantity. The only people who are adverse to this information, which has been borne out by the science and borne out in practice for so many people, are individuals who have a financial interest in perpetuating the myths of 50 years ago. Well, speaking of, if you hang out on the interwebs at all, you know that without naming names, there is, there's a school of thought out there now that's kind of a, a backlash to this low-carb paleo community saying that eliminating major food groups and kind of, you know, what we talk about a lot is eliminating inflammatory foods, you know, like you mentioned in the book, gluten, dairy, sugar, grains, that that kind of extremism and restricting these foods leads to kind of eating disorder behavior or obsessive eating disordered behavior. So w what would you say about that or what's your opinion of that? By that logic, every kosher and halal person in the world has an eating disorder. <laughs> That's a, a good rebuttal. I like that. <laughs> so, so, and, and in addition to that, so does every pregnant woman. <laughs> so the logic, I'll tell you what's the most disordered form of eating in the world, aside from anorexia and bulimia, taking a calculator around with you and a scale so that you can sort of balance this core metabolic process. Like, think, just think about how crazy that is for a second. Like, what about vitamin C? Vitamin C is also required for life. Do we need to consciously regulate vitamin C in and vitamin C out? Or what about like thiamine and niacin and vitamin E and vitamin D and vitamin K and phosphorus and the amino acid leucine? Or like if we needed to consciously regulate things like that, we wouldn't be able to do anything because our body wouldn't be like, you know what? It's just this one thing you need to consciously regulate. The body says, all right, check it out. You've got this powerful brain. And you have this part of your brain called the neocortex. Neocortex is a uniquely human part of the brain. It allows us to do things like talk 
like we're talking right now, right? Things that make you uniquely human. Then you have this part of this brain called your hypothalamus, which takes care of unconscious things. There's a reason you don't need to consciously monitor breaths in or breaths out or your blood pressure or your blood sugar or your body weight because your body is designed to take care of it for you so that you can do more important things. The most, the most disordered form of eating in the world is one in which you do math instead of enjoying food. <laughs> Great point. What do you, um, absolutely, I mean, I think your theory about saying, car, saying foods is really important because I know before... Uh, before when I was just dieting all the time, you know, like all young girls pretty much. Um, and before I started looking at food quality, it seemed like every food made me feel crazy or guilty. (laughs) Yeah. Or guilty. Or it was just a cycle of guilt and, you know, being tired and up and down and all this. And I, I don't know if, I mean, I know men feel it too, but it seems like women are maybe more sensitive to it. Um, well, Caitlin, I, I, I don't at all mean to cut you off, but I got to tell you, you just brought up my favorite point ever. And that's how calorie counting is freaking oppressive to women specifically, because most, even guys that are trying to get in shape, aren't generally told like if you pick up even mainstream men's literature, it doesn't talk so much about shrinking and being hungry and counting and just being in the background a little bit. And, and that's, think about this though, counting calories, chronic cardio. Don't, oh, you, you're going on a date with a man. Oh, order a salad. Don't eat more than he does. What is it? Is it the 1920s? Did I miss something? Like when did we start going back and making it acceptable to openly treat women as second class citizens that they as if they need to shrink down in some way wow that's deep <laughs> but think about it seriously like what are men told lift weights women are told no like don't lift weights shrink yourself oh, gosh, like what cuz the worst insult I ever gave a guy was I was like wow you look really thin that that's the equivalent of telling a man i think that I'm sorry, a woman that she looks fat. Because guys get appalled when you tell them that they they look smaller, just as women kind of get appalled if you tell them they look bigger. But that's the total dogma is that men are supposed to be big and buff and women are supposed to be tiny. Absolutely. So moving away from, like, think about how different these two messages are. Okay, there's message A. Eat eat less. Like, come on, just just you need to scale back. Just and, and, and you really you just gotta run, you gotta just just shrink yourself down versus lift weights, become a strong person, and then fuel your body with an abundance of the most nutritious natural foods in the world. So you can rock your freaking mission. Like why in God's name would anyone advocate the first one and not the second one? Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, I know that you, what, what do you see when you, you, I mean, I don't know if you work with people, but you probably have in the past. So, you know, you see them, they're doing, let's say they've been kind of doing your recommendations for a while and they seem like they're doing everything right, but they're just not getting results. And I, I used to get a lot of clients like that before I stopped taking clients and they were like doing the perfect food and the perfect, um, 
you know, exercise supposedly, and they just weren't getting anywhere. I'm going to give you an unpopular answer, but sometimes science is unpopular because <laughs> science, <laughs> science doesn't try to be anything. It just is. So the best way to think about your, your body when it comes to sticking points is what, what, what has happened to us over the past 40 and 50 years is because we've been given this wrong information, we've literally broken our metabolism. It's literally broken and we can get into what that means, but for now let's stick with it's broken. So you have a broken metabolism. Okay. Compare that to a broken ankle. If you have a broken ankle, there's a lot of things that impact how long it's going to take for you to be able to walk again, right? How old you are, how much stress you're under, how meticulously you care for your ankle, how many times you've broken it in the past, maybe some medications, maybe some pre-existing medical conditions that you have. However, if you do the appropriate mechanisms, the appropriate things, and you let your body heal itself, because remember, that's what the body does. It heals itself when it can. Your ankle will heal itself, and it might be three months, right? On day two, your ankle might not look any better than on day one. And in fact, in month two, if you're 65 years old and have broken your ankle 15 times, month two might not seem any different from month one. But one day, your ankle will be healed, and then you'll be able to walk on it for the rest of your life. Think of your metabolism the same way. If you've weight cycled over and over and over, if you're under a massive amount of stress, if you're on a bunch of medications, if you're older, if you're not sleeping well... It is going to take you a lot longer to heal your broken metabolism than it will someone who has not experienced those types of things. That doesn't mean it can't be healed. It just means if you think about it a little bit more like a broken bone where it's not this linear process, it may help you wrap your head around the results you'll get and when. That's a really important point because we're obviously a quick fix magic pill society where we expect... Especially, I, I get a lot of women clients who say, you know, paleo worked for my husband and he lost 20 pounds in a month or it worked for my neighbor and I've been doing it six months and nothing's happening or I've gone grain free and I'm doing CrossFit five days a week. And the important lesson I think is that while the model is good, there's never a one size fits all approach and you kind of have to tinker within the model, wouldn't you say? I would say, I would also see that there's, there is one thing which more often than not I see uh, individuals could uh, leverage to help themselves in sticking points. I mean, that was a terrible way of phrasing that, but let me maybe, maybe <laughs> there is, um, er, uh, so, let me, so it's pretty easy to tell people to eat more protein. Protein is delicious. Everyone loves protein. That's good. Telling people to eat more fat. Fabulous. That's wonderful. Tell people to eat more vegetables, <laughs> non-starchy vegetables. Yeah, that one. So, so I get a lot of people, for example, who are saying like, I've gone paleo or I'm going sane. And I ask them how many servings of non-starchy vegetables they eat in a day. Right. And they're like one to three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so you're, you got to heal your body. What we're talking about here is not a starvation model. It's a healing model. The most healing food, the most nutrient-dense food on the planet are non-starchy vegetables, especially green leafy vegetables, deep green leafy vegetables. If you are not eating at least eight servings of non-starchy vegetables per day. And I know that seems like a lot, but most of us could eat three to four servings of non-starchy vegetables easily in a sitting. And if you're not afraid of fat, it's delicious because you can saute them and do all kinds of fabulous stuff. 
If you're not eating at least eight servings, I'd really like you in the double digits of non-starchy vegetables. I would urge you to focus all of your efforts on that before worrying about anything else. That's great. That's great advice because that's one of the biggest flaws I see is people kind of go grain-free and they eat tons of protein and fat. Because that's what they've heard are the healing nutrients, and the vegetables kind of get glossed over. So that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought up. Thanks, Mary. And I, I like sometimes people say, well, is what you're saying the, the paleo diet? Or is what you're saying, because you talk about a lot of vegetables, is it like a vegan diet or whatever? It's, it's <laughs> saying take the most nutritious foods in the world and eat the most of those. It's like take the highest quality plants in the world and the highest quality animals in the world and eat those things. But really, it's that, that vegetables, man. It's, Kermit had it right when he said it's not easy being green because <laughs> like everyone wants to post on Facebook, oh, like bacon and woo and the protein, <laughs> woo. But like check it out. T. Colin Campbell and Lauren Cordain both agree that non-starchy vegetables are super important, but that's not what they talk about. Not that they're doing anything wrong, but it's like the single most important part of this equation is not the part that we're talking about. Mm, that's great. That's a great paradigm shift. I kind of I like that a lot. <clears throat> Thank you. Now, how many <laughs> servings? When you say serving, what does that mean? How how big is that? It depends on what you're eating, but from a green leafy vegetable perspective. You're looking at about two fists. So, and that's helpful because obviously different people are different sizes, right? So, if it's raw, two fists. If it's cooked, about half a fist. So, what most people find, especially, and me personally, if you're new to greens, there's two ways I'd highly recommend you eating them. The first, and this is more of a with meal as a side type thing, is saute. Man, this is a great way to get healthy fats into your diet. Get yourself some coconut oil. Get yourself some bacon drippings. Get yourself some duck fat. Get yourself some some salt. Put some kale, some collards, some Swiss chard in a pan. Maybe throw some spinach in there. Marinate it up, or excuse me, saute it up. Throw some onions in there. Maybe throw some mushrooms in there. It's so good. It's just delicious, right? When you're not afraid of fat, vegetables are fabulous. I I can't tell you how many five-year-olds I've seen just devour half of their plate of greens when they're prepared appropriately. It doesn't always have to be a salad. So saute the heck out of them. And truly, if you saute those vegetables, you will naturally eat three to four servings. If you don't restrict yourself, very easily because it's delicious. Then I'm a big fan of green smoothies as well, especially in the mornings. People are tight on time, and it's sometimes hard to fit vegetables into breakfast. So grab yourself some kale, some romaine, some, uh, some uh, what is the other one? Kale, romaine, spinach. There we go. <laughs> grab yourself some of those. Maybe grab yourself some strawberries. Grab yourself an orange. Maybe a little bit of protein powder, a little bit of cinnamon, a little vanilla. Toss that into a good blender. It's got to be a good blender, or else you're going to get chunky nastiness. Throw that in a good blender. And enjoy that in the car on the way to work. And right there, you got three servings, four servings of non-starchy vegetables. And they're raw, which is really good as well. I wanted to, yeah, that's good on the go. Great ideas. And I think some people think about vegetables. And, I mean, I remember back in the day, I used to eat tons of, like, steamed vegetables with... (laughs) With no fat on them. Yeah, or, like, maybe that Molly McButter or something. And they were horrible. And I just would step them down to make them filling. But... (laughs) But now it's a whole different ball game when you start putting fat on them. So, Well, your body won't absorb the fat-soluble nutrients from the vegetables unless you have fat in them. Absolutely. So you kind of are similar to me. I mean, besides studying studies, 
but I was a trainer for a long time, and then I became a uh, holistic nutritionist because the same way I got fed up with all the with all the people just not getting results, and I got so much more out of the nutrition side of it than I did from the exercise as far as fulfillment. So I wanted to hear some of your ideas about, you know, what are some common exercise mistakes you see people making? Exercise, just like eating, has been promoted to us by the mainstream as a quality, excuse me, as a quantity game, not a quality game, right? It's just exercise more, exercise more, exercise more. Very simply put, energy is a fixed resource. So if your goal is to exercise more, by definition, you have to do exercise that doesn't require a lot of energy, right? If, you, if your goal is to drive your car as, for as long of a time period as possible, you'd be better off driving it at two miles an hour than you would driving it at 200 miles an hour, simply because the harder you drive it, the faster it's going to run out of energy, right? So if the message we always hear is exercise more, exercise more, exercise more, what we're actually hearing is two things. We're hearing exercise more with lower quality because that's the only way to exercise more. This is what I love about the CrossFit movement. The CrossFit movement is flipping that on its head. It's saying, you know what? No, exercise less but with higher quality. And this, the great thing here is there is no debate in the actual scientific community about the health benefits of exercising less but with higher intensity. Like the, the high intensity interval training research is startling in terms of the metabolic health and fat burning benefits of short bursts of more intense activity. I, also, I heard you um, highlighting the eccentric. And I, I mean, I remember when I was in personal training school, they'd always say, like, go really slow on the eccentric, but nobody ever did. <laughs> It, it is. It's, it's somewhat heartbreaking because when you look at it, it's really like we've been told the opposite of, of what we should, right? Even, even just the language that people use, lift weights. Let's go lift weights. That language, I mean, like look at how most guys do bicep curls. It looks like they're doing a freaking clean and jerk. I'm not sure if all of your listeners will know what that means, but you know, they're like wiggling around like they're a worm and they're trying to do as many reps as possible. They're trying to lift the weight as much as possible. The goal of weightlifting, unless you're a competitive weightlifter, isn't actually to lift weights. It's to trigger a result in your body. And that result in your body is caused when you activate muscle fibers. And training very, very slowly, training eccentrically allows you to generate a dramatic amount of force. In fact, up to 40% more force than contracting concentrically, so lowering weights. And when you do it slowly, you just minimize the risk of injury. So if you want the most benefits, the most sustainably, slowly lowering weights is a great option. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen some gnarly CrossFit injuries from from people. In fact, almost everyone I know who's <laughs> gone into the CrossFit realm has had some really pretty bad injuries. That, but they seem to be very addicted to it and love it. And I'm a big fan of interval training and burst training for, especially for people who are exercise rehabbing themselves from going out and pounding the pavement for hours and hours and hours jogging. The when you tell them just do 20 minutes of burst training or something, then they Definitely changes their worldview. CrossFit, like anything else, is it any other form of exercise that is, 
safety is so important, right? So there's there's great ways to train eccentrically. There's horribly dangerous ways to train eccentrically. There's great ways to do CrossFit. There's horribly dangerous ways to do CrossFit. What I encourage people to do is there there's a couple things we know. We know working more muscle is better than working less muscle. We know that. That's not debatable. We know a safe form of activity is better for you than a less safe form of activity. So what I encourage people to do, and we know that enjoyment is important. You've got to enjoy what you're doing. So find something that you enjoy, find something that has the lowest risk of injury possible, and find something that activates the most muscle possible. That might be slightly different among various people. I personally, in the research, shows that eccentric weight training with some basic safe movements with major muscle groups and interval training are two of, if not the best, uh, two of uh, some of the best options out there. Great. Yeah. Good guidelines. Now, we don't want to keep you too long. We have a, a couple more reader questions. Um, if you have another quick minute. I will, I will give you shorter answers. I know I tend to be a little bit uh, long-winded. <laughs> no, this is great. We're loving the information. We just don't want to monopolize your time here because we know you're a busy man. But uh, just a, couple, a few more reader questions we got in. First uh, one, she says, does the timing of when you eat matter? I would not, I would focus on what you eat, not when you eat it, personally. There's, there's some research around this. I think it's a bit of a distraction until you're in the top 0.1% of the population in terms of your health outcomes. My quick answer is focus on what you're eating with 99% of your effort. And then if you want to, 1% on when you're eating it. That's what I would say too. Good. Okay, this one's kind of interesting and funny. Um, so remember a couple of years ago, the, this, this reader of mine who always comments named Nick, he wants to know, you know, what do you think about the Twinkie diet? Because that guy <laughs> lost a lot of weight and he was eating the, the, the lower calorie Twinkie That's diet. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you about the next fad diet right now. I got the inside scoop. I was actually in Hollywood last week and it's, this is the new Hollywood celebrity diet. Are you ready for it? The cookie diet. No, no, no. It's called the amputation diet. Oh what you God. do is you cut off your right leg and you lose anywhere from 30 to 60 pounds instantly and you keep it off forever. Wow. The point of that ridiculous story, which is obviously not true, is that there's all sorts of things we can do to lose weight. That doesn't mean they're healthy or that we should recommend them to people. Of course, if you eat a 1,000 calories of anything and that's all you eat for the rest of your life, you're going to lose weight. You'll also die and be miserable. So why are we even talking about that? <laughs> I know, people just, they're, they're incredulous about this. They're like, see, see, I can eat McDonald's and lose weight. I can eat trickies and lose weight. You know, I think it's, it's really just wishful thinking. But I mean, the guy was, he did it for like a month and... Well, yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, you, you always have benefits or, or some results at first, but then, and then I also think he got the bulk of his calories. I mean, I remember reading that from protein shakes, so that may have been better than what he was eating before. Who knows? Well, he said his blood work improved too, I think, which might be a knee jerk reaction, but then it kind of boomerangs the other direction. So, Jonathan, tell us just some closing words of encouragement around people who want to get to get healthy in the new year very simply focus on foods in this order 
non-starchy vegetables. The vast majority of what you fill your plate with, you fill your body with, should be vegetables you could eat raw. You don't have to eat them raw, but you could eat them raw. Think things like green leafy vegetables, cucumbers, asparagus, broccoli, mushrooms, tomatoes, peppers, stuff like that. Next on the order of volume, this is about a 30-year plate, nutrient-dense protein. So humanely raised animals, wild-caught fish. It doesn't have to be expensive. There's canned wild salmon. There's canned options which everyone can afford. There's frozen options that everyone can afford. Next on the list would be whole food fats. So the whole food, avocados, coconut, cocoa, chia seeds, flax seeds, olives, and then lower sugar fruits, specifically low fructose fruits. Think berries and citrus fruits. So blackberries, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, oranges, lemon, limes, grapefruits, because those are going to give you the most of what you do need, vitamins and minerals, at least of what you don't, fructose, things like that, eat so much of those foods that you're just too full for everything else. And what you'll find too is when you're not afraid of fat and when you enjoy those foods, you can do all kinds of stuff. You can make cake, just make it with coconut flour. And of course, you're not going to eat it every freaking meal, but all of the flavors you like, salty, sweet, savory, fatty, they're all available to you. We just need to do them smarter from the food groups I just outlined. That's what we talk about every day, so that's awesome. Um, now, tell us where people can find your new book and your site and all that. The book is available anywhere books are sold. It's called The Calorie Myth, and I, I don't mean to be like the sales pitch guy here, but I think on Amazon it's less than 16 bucks, and I personally guarantee that you will get at least $16 worth of information out of this book. It is, it has been a labor of love for over a decade and it, it provides you with so much proven science that you can practically apply. And it's an easy read. I would very much appreciate it if you'd grab a copy. And the book is again called The Calorie Myth. You can buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or anywhere books are sold. And the companion website that's got a bunch of free bonuses, which you can check out immediately, is caloriemythbook.com. Again, that's caloriemythbook.com. Well, thanks so much, Jonathan. This is great information. You've been a really great guest. And I'm excited for your book. Caitlin and I are both excited to see the success that it's having and the impact that it's making. And thanks for spreading the good word and all the work that you do. My pleasure. Thank you for the work you do. And thank you so much for having me today. All right. Get excited for our upcoming guests. We have a lot of cool people coming on this year. And make sure and leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks so much. See you next time. Bye-bye.